Welcome to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education. In today's episode, we are talking about maybe scaling up VR in education. As more and more schools think about incorporating VR into their programs and districts, there's so many questions to ponder. So today on the show, we have Jason Benby. Jason's the Chief, Chief Operating Officer at American High School. And more importantly for today, the Director of the Bahamas Virtual School. He's going to be spearheading the rollout and adoption of metaverse-type education across the island in the Bahamas. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you, Greg. Great to be here. I always like to start with a bit of an origin story. I'm curious, what got you interested in VR and learning maybe in what we're now using as a bit of a buzzword, the metaverse? Well, first, when... uh you know, we came into uh, education. I was always drawn to the virtual aspect of teaching. And so even when I started way back in 2003 as a teacher at Pompano Middle School, a very, very long time ago, the idea was to always try to matriculate uh, my way into the virtual teaching reality. Uh, it took me it took me a while to get there. It wasn't until 2014 that I started as a teacher at American High School that I was able to break into it. Uh, my previous stint I th before that was the closest I would say when I was at Dolphin Park High School and Alternative High School in Miramar, and we were using Apex at the time, which was my first introduction of, of virtual learning, so to speak, in the asynchronous manner. And so from there, I was able to get into American high school, which was more of uh, the, asyn the asynchronous version as well. But it was, it was a LMS that was proprietary that was created by the owner at the time. And we, we looked at it and I, and I said, I just saw an opportunity. And so at that point, my mind expanded and I, I said, you know, if, if I can work this correctly, I would be able to try to take this program back to the Bahamas because it did not exist in any form or fashion back then in, in 2014. And so, you know, move forward a few years and I, I moved through the company up to the chief operating officer position. And I was introduced to the VR concept after meeting with Steve Grubbs and Victory XR. And it was kind of like an, an explosion of the mind looking at everything that he was doing and how we would be able to work together. And that relationship led to a relationship with Qualcomm, who was interested in our learning management system, like I said, it is a proprietary system that was created by Dana Delane Williams, 
who was one of the first African-American women to open a school in VR. And once we got that project started, I spearheaded it and we did it for uh, kids that were, that needed a better opportunity, low income, deserving students for that. And seeing the results of that, and it was actually my first introduction to the Oculus Quest system at the time. And, you know, you you see video games on TV. I, I was an avid video game player, Fortnite, all the way back to Madden back in the day, but where it is now is it's, it's spectacular. But once you put that on and you see the, the, the actual reality of what people see in virtual, in the virtual world, it's like, wow, this, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I want, I want to take this home, you know, and I, so I have the opportunity to do so after guiding a successful uh, project with uh, Qualcomm and Victory XR and American High School. I said, you know, I want to take this to my program, the Bahamas Virtual School, and I want to take it back home and try to see how I can introduce that there. And so it was just for me the fact that I didn't want the Bahamas to kind of be at the end of the spectrum. I wanted us to be in the beginning, or at least as close to the beginning as possible, to continue to move along. Like in the past, you know, a lot of countries, island nations, so to speak, you know, by the time you get the VR goggles at home, you know, people in the United States are wearing VR contacts. Mm. So that's like kind of how far behind it normally is. So I wanted to let's let's speed that up and let's get involved and let's let's get to testing it to see how it can actually work. And that is how this project, you know, led me to uh, working with the Ministry of Education and now collaborating with Minister Zane Lightborn, the Minister of State with Education and Technology there at home and understanding that's the vision that the ministry has, that Minister Hannah Martin, the Minister of Education has for the entire education program. You know, the hope is that this would help bring some equity to uh, the learning deficit that is there at home right now. And that's such a good point, Jason. You know, the best use cases for the adoption of technology or anything is to try and solve an emerging need or a problem. So in the case of the Bahamas, for example, you mentioned the word equity. So how do you think VR and the adoption of VR will improve the equity of education in this small nation? So in my opinion, I I feel that learning virtually is something that is needed. Now, it's not it's never the only way to go. I believe that there are too many different types of learners there to just say this is one way to go and it's just a cookie cutter way for everybody to learn. And I think they found that out in trying to introduce virtual education over COVID and they did not have as much success as possible just because, you know, you're dealing with students and trying to get students to log on all the time over two years and it's not something that they're used to. So, you know, they had some success and then, you know, some of the students never logged on. Um, I think the experience that, that we have had in this business would, would help 
in that area in terms of, you know, adding to a hybrid solution that they are currently working on to, uh, to help kids to catch up. And I think education has been the, the same way for years now. You go to school, you sit in a class, the teacher writes on the board, and then you go home and you try to do homework. The problem is in most of those scenarios, the teacher is really teaching to the middle of the class because the, the, the kids at the top of the class are learning and may be bored. And the kids at the bottom of the class, they are not feeling the material, not learning the material. And so they're getting left behind. And so that is like a constant that you find, a constant dynamic anywhere. So bringing equity to that, I believe, is one, bringing diversity to the ways that students learn. So introducing things like VR and other activities, and then introducing students also to the ability to be able to work outside of the classroom on their classwork so that those that have fallen behind will be able to catch up. Right now, in, in the Bahamas, kids are about two and a half to three years behind just because of the effects of COVID. And just before COVID, there was a very large hurricane that hurt a few of the islands as well and decimated what was there. And now they're rebuilding very well, I might add, but they're still rebuilding. And what I believe that virtual reality will do, apart from expanding on on just the ways that students learn, but I believe that it will allow to beam from, say, the, the main island, which is Nassau, to some of the more remote family islands where students don't have access to, say, their biology teacher or a science teacher or their math teacher, because, you know, there is a teaching shortage there as well. And so if we can find ways to bring students together in a virtual capacity to meet virtually with uh, their teacher, but do it differently. So we're not talking about, say, a Zoom classroom where they're sitting and just, you know, they're sitting in front of the camera and a teacher's trying to control students in front of those like 30 cameras or whoever's there in that Zoom room. If you can actually have kids beam into a classroom for that particular subject, and they're now sitting, they can see the teacher or the, the avatar of the teacher in this case. And the teacher can see the avatars of the students and the students can walk around and interact with each other. They can look at lessons on the board. They can have a conversation like they were in a game like Roblox or wherever that, that the kids are playing now. You know, if we can replicate that, but make it learning and then make learning fun. I think that is how we we kind of solve that issue of equity and bring and bring subject areas and teaching the best teachers that is to all kids all over. Well said. Are you hoping or is the plan to be completely synchronous, which is face to face or in this case, virtual avatar to avatar? Or are you also considering asynchronous lessons where the student just goes in to the VR environment on their own and does stuff independently. What's your sort of vision for the rollout of this? I, I believe that it has to be both case scenarios. There has to be a synchronous capacity of it where the students actually go online and meet with the teacher virtually for those classes where, where uh, a direct face-to-face -face teacher is not available. 
And then there has to be an asynchronous capacity as well for students that understand and grasp to be able to immediately take that, what they learned in that synchronous classroom environment and go in and work. I've always believed in students having the ability to work at their own pace. And so with the, with the combination of both, students can asynchronously go in and work on their assignments that they may have, and they can go as far as, say, a teacher would allow so they don't get too far ahead. But they, there should be, I always believe that there is acceleration in, that should be allowed in, in schools because, you know, like I said, there are some students at the top that have the capacity to do more, and we should be able to feed those students the information and the opportunities for them to do that. And then the students that are in the middle or at the bottom, I think when when you work online in an asynchronous manner like that, a teacher can actually go in and check and see what they're doing and maybe move them ahead or move them back, allow them to redo an assignment, just so that you have a better representation of what students are doing and what they're actually learning. I think one of the things that as as an educator and even as a parent, you know, you realize that some students don't always do super well on exams and testing. And when that's the end of it, they can't retake it. They can't get a better grade. I don't think it's a real reflection of a student's ability to learn or to actually express what they have learned. I, I love your philosophy on student agency is what we might call it. That is to say, you know, putting the ball or the the steering wheel in the students' hands and giving them a little bit more voice and choice in regards to not only the speed at which they learn, but as you alluded to, enriching or giving them, you know, more difficult content maybe along the way. So that's that's impressive. Some schools, Jason, will dabble in VR and have pilots, but they might just sort of pick certain subjects or certain areas. Again, back to your vision of scaling this in the Bahamas, are you hoping for a slow adoption or are you looking at targeting most subjects, you know, several curriculum objectives? How do you decide on that? What's, what's going to happen for the Bahamas for you? Well, initially, as you look at the landscape and you see what is actually being affected there, there is a deficiency with literacy and numeracy. That's there. So you're talking about, you know, language and mathematics first. And so I think those are the things that has to be addressed. The Bahamas Virtual School, we actually have the ability to address across the board all of the core topics and provide electives as well. But I think in the beginning, you want to offer support in the areas where students, the most students are failing and be able to address those areas. And then by extension, offer opportunities for credit recovery, offer opportunities for uh, acceleration and remediation, and be able to, again, you know, bring equity across the board there is, is my vision. So if, if it is up to me, I would begin with the areas where you note the most difficulties, the most issues, where you have the most students falling behind, and begin with that and maybe use those areas as a foundation to build out to the courses that that students may be doing better in. But you start with the most difficult areas, I would 
and address those first so that even as you move along, you're continuously building on that foundation while adding to courses that may be more fun, your astronomy or your forensic science courses at the end. But you begin with math and English because, you know, the, the, those are the core. You know, most of the times you, you have to learn and understand how to speak and write properly. And then you should be able to count as, as a way to, you know, complete your arithmetic skills so that you can actually, you know, live and earn and understand what you're doing in life. So communication and calculation, I call it. Two C's. Well said. From a hardware perspective, is the is the idea to give every student in the initial rollout a VR headset, or will they come to you know certain locations within the island, like a library or a community center, and access a VR headset that way? So initially, the plan will be to roll it out in the library in the Yamakura constituency, where Minister Lightborn is working with the community to be able to bring the students in. And it's going to be a summer program. And so what we want to do with this program is allow them to come into that library. It's going to be over a six-week period. Uh, There's going to be an instructor in the actual library with the students. There's going to be an instructor online through the Oculus set with an administrator as well in the room. So it'll be 30 headsets within that library setting that the students are going to come to for six weeks. And we are going to use this period of time to introduce different aspects of how we can test literacy and numeracy. With this one, it's going to be literacy for the most part, where we are going to, I guess, test, you know, students' lexile levels and learning levels, so forth, where we want to see where they are at the beginning of the six weeks and then figure out where they are at the end and see how it works. So this is going to be a community effort through Minister Lightborn in his community working at the local library there. So when they do go into VR synchronously, there's several applications out there on the market. Um, you know, Mozilla Hubs is one example. What VR application do you hope to use to allow students to enter a VR environment? You know, again, sometimes we use the term a metaverse, meet a teacher maybe who isn't in the Bahamas like you talked about before and start to learn stuff within the virtual world? So for this program, we will continue to work with uh, Steve Grubbs and his team at Victory XR. So we go through his program, we use a a platform called Engage Mm -hmm. and the students are able to get in and then they have access to the Victory XR. Uh, Many environments and platforms and we learn that way. So one of the things I did as a as someone in running a business and trying to understand it, I always go in and I'm very hands-on. So I've actually taught lessons in VR myself in biology, which was what my background was. And so you, you want to be able to go in and have a class in there and take the student say, to the moon to learn a lesson or take them to the Great Wall of China, all in a virtual world, places they may never actually get to in real life, but virtually they can see it and experience it. And then also have that supporting teacher there on the ground so that we can incorporate some written assignments and things of that nature to kind kind of blend 
both of them together. I think this is the adopted way that it should be. And it goes along with the kind of hybrid programming that they will see when they are reintroduced to virtual uh, learning along with the traditional learning environment. And so this is, this is what we are going to pursue there and see how it all, you know, it all matches together. Jason, I love the hybrid model because I think uh, a stumbling block right now would be to say that, you know, it's allowing a student for the entire day to be inside a VR headset when they're maybe not as comfortable or we're, we're not yet sure exactly sort of what the metrics and, you know, the, the drawbacks are on eyes and whatnot to be in there like six hours a day would be very taxing. So the hybrid model is something I believe in too. Yes, it, it has to be. It has to be, you know, even it's always an adjustment period when trying to, you know, do anything new, any, any different option that you're introducing, any different environment that you're introducing, there's going to be an adjustment period to it. And each student may be something different. Some students may not work with the uh, Oculus goggles, and so they, they do have the option to use the desktop or the laptop that is provided for them to be able to actually still look at it in a, in a regular environment without, uh, you know, getting dizzy or nauseous or whatever. And just, I don't think that students should be in, in headsets for more than 45 minutes at a time. I think uh, whatever period that period is, is is the period of time that they should be in a headset and then given a break to be able to do something else within the classroom or with, within another class just until they have an understanding. Now, at some point, you know, students may choose to do that. I actually saw something where there was a gentleman that was actually trying to live his entire life in the uh, VR VR headset the other day. It, 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 it was interesting. And I don't know if we're really that far away from something like that actually happening. It is, it is, you know, along the lines of Ready Player One, I think is where, is where we're going to right now with, with some of the things that are happening. But you definitely don't want anybody to be, you know, in, in something for such a long period of time. Like anything, it's like staring at a computer screen all day. Eventually it's going to affect you. Yeah, well said. You know, this is this is going to be, I'd imagine, uh, a very curious case. And I think a lot of people in the education world are going to follow this story really carefully to see, you know, whether you're successful or not. But what kinds of metrics will you use to determine whether this summer, six-week summer program will be successful or not? So one, one of the things that we're going to do is we want to kind of introduce uh, exit, I mean, entering, entry and exit uh, testing. And basically, so we're going to introduce a social studies course here that's going to kind of reinforce some of the uh, more acute aspects of Bahamian history and some, and some of the things that like with, within politics. I think that, you know, every year students kind of vote but do they really understand when they hear that their parents are going to vote or someone is voting, what that is and what the history is behind that and how Bahamians actually got the opportunity to vote and who actually fought for that right? 
And so it's, it's a, it's a combination of using the, the civics class and blending that in with, uh, lessons in, in literacy and English to see how we can really work on the, the, the low literacy levels that are there. So the, one of the first things we're going to do is employ an, uh, a, a, a test on what their knowledge is of Bahamian history in the lights of how, how we gained independence and the ability to vote and so forth and so on, and then give that test again at the end to see how students improved over that period of time. And we are also going to be working with, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with iReady. I am not, no. So iReady is a, it's a, it's a learning or testing platform that tests literacy and numeracy. And basically it's, it's, uh, it's highly recommended, uh, run by a great group of people and called from curriculum associates. And we're going to use uh, that program as a pilot, uh, as a part of the pilot to also test, have students working in on their literacy inside uh, while they're doing it. So learning, you know, getting an initial test, not only on, you know, so the, the other one is for testing their knowledge base of, of the course that we're going to be teaching for the beginning and the end. This is going to be continuously work. They're going to work on this throughout the course so that we want to build them through that process as well and, you know, see where they are. And what this program does is, you know, once it, once it's, it establishes the base, the baseline of where the students is or students are, sorry, they will now begin to test that student and move them along and continue to move them up as they do better, giving them more challenging work. And so let's say the goal is if a student is at a level, a level one, if we can get them up to learning levels to a level three within that six-week process, I think that would be a great success. One of the other things we want to do in terms of, in terms of breaking, uh, kind of breaking up what they're doing in the, in the virtual world is that we are going to have another, uh, another uh, company working with us uh, called in the footsteps and they are also a virtual company but they they use kind of a tethered experience along with their desktop experience and they give students walkabouts through history and one of one of their pro projects is an award-winning project that they did on the life of uh on the journey of marco polo so it's uh david and and lisa believe bellevue and they created this program. They did that documentary and they have like uh, so many different uh, environments and explorations that they're doing. And one of those we're going to incorporate with that are scenes that they built specifically for this program. One being a historic scene of Selinden Penling, our first prime minister, throwing the mace out of parliament, out of the parliament window, which was very important back in the day. And then also, uh, A.D. Hanna, who was one, who was our first minister of education, actually being escorted out of the house, uh, when he, uh, was protesting on the behalf of the Bahamian people. So uh, we're trying to build things that are specifically and uniquely Bahamian to go along with this so that they can feel 
a, a sense of connection with this program. Yeah, and what a great way to build nationalism, as you said before, especially if, uh, you know, voting might be an issue to get them, you know, understanding their their culture and their history through the lens of something where the context is so real. Are they 360 video experiences or are these actually built sort of simulations that are, you know, the walls and the, the scenery and the context is like built in unity or whatever from the ground up? So it, it I think is a bit of both. Mm-hmm. Uh, the engaged platform is a completely immersive environment. You can you go you can walk around and, and, and interact with different with different uh, environments there and then with the with the uh in the foot in the footsteps program they're able to go into that environment and it's kind of a, a stable environment where you know it's not movement but you can move around and interact with everything and see you know just what it, what that scene looks like and then listen to the audio that goes along with it Wonderful. What tell me a challenge that you perceive as you go through this six week program with the students? In in anything, there's a learning curve. I think the the biggest challenge is going to be, you know, how we deal with students that pick it up immediately, and how we handle students that may struggle a bit to to get to get along to get to get involved in it. I think that is where we'll find the most drawbacks because in, in everything you have students that grasp it and they're ready to go, but you still have students that can't figure out how to, how to work the equipment, can't access it the way you want them to, or still may not grasp the information that's there immediately. And, and how, so, sorry, go ahead. And so we have to kind of figure out ways to address that. One of those is going to be a, a training, training sessions prior to actually starting for the students so that they have enough of an opportunity to interact and learn the environment and then begin. Not only that, but even having a teacher sort of on the ground, you know, in the Bahamas will be so helpful because a lot of these programs, when they're rolled out, the students either at their home or they're somewhere on their own. And so to have a, uh, you know, a teacher there also to support them is brilliant. Yes, that and that and that's definitely the case. So not only do they have the online instructor, but they do have the instructor in the room with them, as well as an assistant administrator to be there who can see all of the screens as well to make sure that everyone is logged in and where they're supposed to be. So we're 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 trying to think of as many things that we can beforehand that could possibly affect uh the the pilot to make sure that we can address those things accurately. So wonderful. Jason, is there anything left unsaid as we wrap up here that maybe you think the audience hasn't heard yet and maybe you think they would want to hear when it comes to scaling up a pilot program like this? Well, I think what we want to do here initially is once we are able to prove within the library community in in the Yamacor constituency we would like to be able to expand to the other libraries around the nation and to bring that experience to each of those libraries. And then from there, begin also to move towards getting it into the classrooms and into the schools themselves so that we, we can make this, the vision is to make this a normal thing 
kids learn virtually at some point in during their day at at school. And so, you know, what I would want the audience to do is, you know, once they continue to follow and see what it is, you know, let's figure out how you can contribute to this nation in helping us to to catch up to where everybody else is and then to to remain there. And so anyone that sees a way that they can help or they can be of assistance, I welcome that. Mm, fantastic. Jason, let's say there are educators, which I'm sure there will be, that are interested to learn more about this amazing work. How would someone be able to get a hold of you to either learn more or maybe take up your call to help contribute to the cause here? Well, one of the easiest ways to find me is via LinkedIn. You know, I'm there and that's where most most people reach out and, and get in contact with me directly there. Uh, they can also go to our website, you know, thebahamasvirtualschool.com and uh, reach out to any of our assistants there who can, you know, get information to me directly and then we can take it from there. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jason, for coming on the show today and sharing this story. You know, uh, I'm rooting for you. I think, uh, again, we think of all the things going on in the world today. It's important that, you know, the marginalized groups are thought of. And we, as you alluded to in one of our first few questions, we need to take notice about equity and where isn't there equity and what can we do about equity. So, you know, hats off to you and your group. And I, I hope the uh, pilot goes well and I hope it scales beautifully. I appreciate that, Craig. Thanks for having me on. Have a great day. You too.